This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We'll open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1, Acts 1, and uh, we're calling this new series that begins today, Empowered, so if you're new, it's a great time to be new as we embark on a new study together, and uh, I'm calling this Empowered for reasons I think that will be very obvious, Um, even in today's message, our power is found not in trying to do life alone or in trying to do ministry alone, in our own strength, our power is found in God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And I'm calling the message today, Jesus Continued, because Jesus is continuing to work today. He is risen, he is alive, and he continues to work today through his Spirit-empowered followers. That's you and me as believers. And so we're going to be in this series for probably about six months. We're going to finish up before the holidays. Acts is 28 chapters. And so I'm not going to try to cover every single verse in Acts. Um, Couldn't do that in that length of time. Uh, But you will get, when we have to skip a chapter or whatever, I'll be able to catch you up. You will be very, very familiar with the flow of the book of Acts and the themes of the book of Acts as we walk through this together. And so I just ask you to pray for it and be praying about what, what God desires to do in your life through this series. Acts is really important f- to understand for a couple of reasons. It's, um, it, it tells us what the early church was like. This, this, this band of believers that, that began as just a, a relatively small group of people that just turned the world upside down, or maybe you would say turned the world right side up. How did that happen? It, it tells us about that. We, we can learn some things about the early church, certainly through the epistles, but Acts is the only book that sort of gives us a, a historical narrative of what was happening in the days of the early church as it expanded. And so I think it's something that will speak to us both as individual believers and as a church family. It's also a great opportunity to teach about the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book a few years ago called Forgotten God about the Holy Spirit. We don't teach enough about the Holy Spirit And some people have said that, you know, instead of being called the Acts of the Apostles, that Acts should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it was the Spirit that was working through people then, just as he does now. And so we begin the journey today in Acts 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. So Acts is written by Luke as is the Gospel of Luke. And in the very first verse, he makes it clear that Acts is really the second part of a, of a two-volume work. The first volume was the Gospel of Luke, 
and volume two is the book of Acts. And so he says here in verse one, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You know, growing up in the 70s and, and 80s, when you, before the days of cable, you know, you had three, te- three channels to watch, basically. And so there weren't really that many options. And so certain TV shows almost took on an iconic sort of status in our culture. So in the late 80s, millions of Americans would gather around and, to see what JR was going to do on Dallas. And later on in the, the, the mid-80s, uh, they did the same thing with Miami Vice. That was probably my favorite. Um, and I'm dating myself now. But when I was in college, Miami Vice was all the rage. I mean, it impacted our culture. It impacted music. It impacted fashion. It even impacted the way that guys shaved or didn't shave. Because everybody wanted a couple of days of stubble like Don Johnson. And so... My friends and I would gather together, I think it was on Friday nights, and we would get together every week and to see what, what uh, Crockett and Tubbs, what kind of situations were they going to get into, and, and how were they going to get out of it, and how was the case going to be resolved? But you know, many times on these iconic shows, there would be a two-parter. And so they would, they would lead you right up to the, just the peak of suspense. But then instead of things being resolved, you would get right to the peak and then three words would appear on the screen to be continued. Luke lets us know here from the very first verse of Acts that this is a continuation of what Jesus is doing in the world. So let's look um, together here at verse one. What does Luke say? He says, in the first book, the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, 
I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what is the implication of that? It's that Jesus is not done. <laughs> that Jesus, the work of Christ continues. And the gospel of Luke, it tells about the beginning of his work. But it's continuing now. You know, many people think of the four gospels as biographies of Jesus. But they're not biographies. Uh, they don't read like biographies. That They focus basically on about three years of Jesus's life and, and good chunks of them focus on the, the events that happened in Jerusalem during the last week. And they're not like biographies in that they don't end with a death. They end with a resurrection. And so Whereas at the end of a, of a normal biography, you would have the last paragraph and then it would skip down and it would say the end. When you think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we, we think about the last verse of those four gospels, you come down a few spaces and it should say the beginning. Because of the resurrection of Christ, there's a new beginning. And there can be a new beginning for you and me. New creation has begun. And we can be a part, we are invited to be a part of that new creation. In fact, God by the power of the Holy Spirit can make us into new creations. And give us a new beginning. That's what Luke is saying here. And he's saying it from the, from the very beginning. So the first thing that we see here in chapter one is that Jesus is alive and at work. Let's look again at, at verse one. He, he talks about Theophilus. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So who is Theophilus? The, word, the term means lover of God. And so some people believe that Theophilus is not really an individual, but um, he, it sort of stands for all, it's addressed to all lovers of God. Most scholars today believe that Theophilus probably was an individual, but a very well-connected individual who was going to disseminate, sort of like a publisher would, what Luke is writing. And Luke is stressing here from the very beginning that, that, that his first book was not about an ending, but really about a beginning. It doesn't end with death, it ends with resurrection. And so he says in, in verse three, speaking of the resurrection, that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It wasn't just that the risen Christ appeared to one or two people. He appeared to hundreds of people. And it wasn't just that he appeared over the course of one or two days. He appeared over the course of 40 days, almost six weeks. And he was sharing meals with his followers and sharing a lot of time with them and pouring into them. And Luke tells us that during this, these 40 days that the theme of the risen Christ in his teaching was the kingdom of God. 
Now, that was not new. In fact, as we studied Mark together, what did we see? The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in his public ministry that are recorded in Mark 1, 14, and 15. There the Bible says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the theme of his teaching from the very beginning of his public ministry had been the kingdom of God as he teaches us how to pray and gives us the model prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. What, how does he teach us to pray? Matthew 6.10, Jesus says, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the theme of the kingdom of God has been there in the ministry of Jesus all along. And every kingdom needs a king. And because of the resurrection of Christ, Jesus has been declared as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the Lord, the King of the world. And his kingdom was inaugurated at his first coming and his kingdom is going to be consummated at his second coming. And that's what the angel is talking to them about here in verse 11. He says to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. The king is coming. He is coming to rule and reign. Evil, suffering, death will all be defeated, destroyed, banished forever. We will be raised as believers to live with him in glorified bodies in a world without sin and death. The kingdom's going to be consummated, but the kingdom's already been inaugurated. So we live between the times, don't we? We live in the end times. We live between the first and second coming. We live between the time of the inauguration of the kingdom and the consummation of the kingdom. So until he comes, we have been given a task. What is that task? You say, well, that that task is to tell people about him. To tell people about the king. Because even though he's the king, most of the people around us don't recognize him as king. And so our task is to tell them about the king. To tell them about the king's love for them. To tell them that the king bore their sins on the cross. And that he's defeated death by rising from the dead. And that forgiveness of sins and new life can be found in him. Yes. Yes, that that is our task, but too many Christians think of it sort of like this. They, They almost think of Jesus as being sort of like a teacher in the classroom who sort of gives the students an assignment and then says, okay, I'm gonna be back in a while and you all carry out the assignment and I'll be back in a while. What does that leave out? (laughs) The Holy Spirit. 
Because we have been given an assignment, <laughs> but, but Jesus doesn't say you're going to carry out that assignment alone. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is, is with us as we minister and, and, and as we live. And if we seek to do life apart from the power of the Spirit, then listen, our lives are going to lack power. They're going to be weak and anemic. J.D. Greer is a, a pastor down in, in, in Durham, North Carolina, and he writes about a friend of his. And J.D. says this. He says, I have a friend. I'll call him Brennan. A bright college senior, Brennan was well regarded and a leader, both on his college campus and in our church. But Brennan had a dark secret of pornography that led to a string of hookups with people he met in internet chat rooms. By the time Brennan confessed his sin to his campus leader and me, he had already tried everything he could think of to fix himself. He had memorized scripture, made vows, and even gotten rid of his internet, yet his problem was getting worse. Together we plotted out a course of recovery that included counseling and high accountability. Brennan progressed a little, and for brief seasons it looked as if he was gaining victory, only to fall into the same dark valleys. Eventually, he checked himself into an intensive ministry that helps people get control of lust. Brennan showed up at my house eight months later, noticeably different in his demeanor. I asked him what he had learned. I didn't learn anything new, he said. I learned to lean on the Holy Spirit. I always knew he was in there, but I didn't know how to relate to him. Brennan who had grown up in Reformed and Baptist circles, knew all about the Holy Spirit. He knew the Holy Spirit had come into his heart when he trusted Christ, and that he was in there, helping out somehow in the sanctification process. But Brennan began to understand that he needed more than right beliefs to subdue lust. He needed power. Resurrection power. And a constant companion who would always be there to help. That constant companion is the Holy Spirit. And that's the second thing that we see here in this text. The Spirit empowers us for life and witness. Let's look at verses four and five. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus says, here's your first assignment, wait. <laughs> Prayerfully wait. Wait for the gift that has been promised. What did Jesus teach about more than anything else the night before he went to the cross in the upper room? He said, the Spirit is coming. Let's go back to that night. Let's go back to the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He could have taught them about anything he wanted to teach them about, but, but what, was, what was uppermost on his heart that night? Let's, let's look 
beginning in, in John 14 and verse 1. Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Why does Jesus say that? Because their hearts were troubled. <laughs> Terribly troubled. Because Jesus had just told them that he was going away. And they're thinking, how in the world are we going to do life without him? How are we going to do life alone? And what Jesus is going to let them know is that they don't have to do life alone. Chapter 14 of John and verses 16 through 18, Jesus says to them, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus here in verse 16 refers to the spirit as the helper. The word in Greek is parakletos. Sometimes it's translated in English as helper. Sometimes it's comforter or counselor, or advocate. Those are terms that describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth, as Jesus calls him here in verse 17. And Jesus says here that, that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, doesn't know the Holy Spirit. This is for followers of Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, Jesus says that the Spirit is going to be both with us and in us. Jesus here is saying, not only are you not going to be left alone, but I am going to be with you in a more intimate way than I have ever been with you. I'm going to be with you 24-7, I'm, I'm going to be with you, but rather being limited by a physical body, I'm going to be in you. I'm going to dwell in you. And so that's why Jesus makes this incredible statement. That same night in John 16, 7, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. If life is going to be a lot better in the absence of, the, of, of the Jesus in a physical body, then this must be some gift that is promised. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you because I'm not here physically any longer. I'm going to be with you in a way in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that I never could be during the time I was with you physically. And so he says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away so that the Spirit can be sent. You think we need to know about this? And what does the Spirit do? He's with us. He's in us. He's our helper, our counselor, our comforter, our advocate. And look at what Jesus says about him in chapter 14 and verse 26. He says, but the helper, the, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So these guys were with Jesus for three years, but they couldn't remember everything that he said let alone understand everything that he said. In fact, we saw when we walked through Mark, lots of times they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They were very slow to get it. But after the resurrection and after the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus brought to their remembrance everything that he said, which is super important because the four gospels came They flowed from these men and Jesus brought to their remembrance everything that he had said. And not only that, he says, I'll teach you all things. I'll help you understand it. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand our Bibles. And he gives us the power to to not only understand the word, but to share the word with others. So let's review our assignment in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes we think of the end of verse 20 here as sort of like just a tagline in the Great Commission. And lo, I'll be with you always. Like it's just sort of a a throw-in line. That's the key to everything. It's the key to everything. That Jesus is with us. As we live, as we witness, as we minister, as we seek to love people that we don't do it alone, that we do it with him. He's with us. He is in us because his power has been poured out. And that's what Jesus says here to them. Back to Acts 1 and verse 8. Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You can only do this because the power of the Spirit has come upon you and the power of the Holy Spirit works through the message to convict people and to open the eyes of people who are spiritually blind so that they can see. And the Spirit takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. And so it's not just going to be you out here trying to tell people this message. It is going to be me bearing witness with you. And me opening, supernaturally opening the hearts of people to believe. Let's look at chapter 15, going back to the upper room that night, the night before the cross. What else does Jesus Jesus say here about the Holy Spirit? He says, but when the helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. So yes, we bear witness, but as we seek to sit across from a friend at Starbucks or George's or as we try to talk to a group of people or whatever we're doing, when we try to tell people about Jesus and bear witness about Jesus, it's not just us doing it. Yes, we bear witness, but Jesus says, the Spirit bears witness. And it's the Spirit that helps us to share, and it's also the Spirit that opens hearts and enables people to believe. They will never do that apart from the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, does that happen every time that the gospel is shared? No. No, not everybody that Jesus witnessed to trusted in him. Some were indifferent. Some were downright hostile. And we're going to see in Acts, not everybody that they witnessed to comes to Christ. Some people are going to mock. Some are going to persecute. But others are going to have their lives just utterly transformed by the, the power of the gospel. So what do we do? We share it with everybody, right? We're like, the, we're like the sower in the parable that Jesus told about. We go out and we sow the seed. That's our task, right? And sometimes the seed, it falls on different kinds of soil. But Jesus says sometimes, instead of falling on the path where the birds come and eat it up, or falling on shallow, rocky soil, or you know, falling among thorns, sometimes that soil fall, that seed falls on good soil. And Jesus says it yields a crop 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Why? Because the Spirit is working in that person's life and the Spirit brings conviction the Spirit brings conviction. Look at John 16, 8. Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We can't convict anybody. Can we convict anybody of their sin? Absolutely not. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of their sin. It's the Holy Spirit that melts their heart and enables them to see who Jesus is and to trust him. That is not our job. Our job is simply to share the gospel with people. The pressure is not on us. We can't save anybody. We can't bring conviction to anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that does all of that. We have to understand that. We have to understand our role and the role of the Spirit. Because if we don't, and we think all the pressure is on us, that's why a lot of people don't share the gospel. They think it's really our role to bring conviction to people. We can't do that. Jesus says it's the Spirit that convicts. 
And when he does, he brings transformation. He brings a crop. He brings a fruit. Paul calls it the, the fruit of the, of the spirit. Galatians 5, and 23. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He gives us power for living. He gives us power to love. It's no accident that the first fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions here is love. Because really all of God's commandments flow from love. And Jesus made that very clear in the great commandment. You remember somebody approached him one time and said, what's the greatest commandment in all the word of God? What did Jesus say? Matthew 22, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, the whole word of God, all of God's commandments flow from love. Love for God. Love for others. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to love. It's the Spirit that turns us from narcissists who are focused inward, which is who we are by nature. And he turns us outward. He turns us up to God in faith and out to other people in love. The Spirit gives us the power to love, to be turned outward. <laughs> you know, it's funny, on, on my trip, um, we would go different places and we were meeting different people and I would want to kind of capture the moment so that I could put a, put a name with a person's face and, and pray for people. And so... One of my friends was uh, taking pictures, and let's just say he wasn't very technologically proficient, okay, in taking pictures. And that became really clear to me later on that day when I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to kind of review these pictures um, and see how they see how they turned out. They were on my phone. I would give him my phone to take the pictures, and so I got my phone. I said, let me let me look at these pictures that were taken, and my friend throughout the day had been taking. Selfies. <laughs> I'm like, dude, when you hold the phone up and you see your own mug staring back at you, that's the picture that's going to be taken. <laughs> we live, listen, we live in a selfie culture, don't we? And by nature, that's who we are. By nature, our focus is on ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to turn outward and to love other people. And if we would simply think of being his witnesses as part of loving people, because that's what it is. 
It's just a natural outflow of seeking to love other people. And as we seek to love them, it becomes a very natural thing out of love to share with them about the love of a savior. We think we're gonna find fulfillment in our lives by focusing on ourselves. But Jesus said if you seek to do that, if you seek to find your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you will lose your life, you'll find it. In other words, if you'll turn outward, Jesus says, turn to me, turn to others. If you'll lose yourself in love for God and others, that's when you find. You find out who you're supposed to be. You find out the human being you were created to be. And the spirit gives us that power to turn outward and to love. Let's pray together. As we just bow before the Lord at, at the beginning of the year, we talked about praying for at least three people in our lives that, that need to know the Savior. Many of us wrote those three names down on a card. If you have that with you, I'd like for you just to, just to pull that out right now, your wallet or your purse. And I want us to, to take just a, a moment and I want us to intercede together. I know you're praying individually for these people. I know you're seeking to share the gospel with them. But I think there's a power in corporate prayer too. And I, I want us just to pray corporately for, for those folks that you're seeking to love, that you're praying for, and that you're seeking to share with. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to be your witnesses. We pray that you would, would turn us from being people who were, are focused inward on self. And that your spirit would give us the power to, to love. To love you and to love others. Lord, we, we intercede for these people in our lives that need to come to know you. We pray that you would would give us the, the power to share with them. We pray that your spirit would bring conviction, that you would open their hearts. And we know that only you can do that. We, we can't do that. And so that's why we pray for them. We know that you can do things in their lives that we just simply can't do. And so Lord, we, we lift them to you right now. And Lord, we present our lives to you as your followers. May you use us as vessels, as instruments of love where we are every day, where we work and in our homes um, and in our schools and our neighborhoods. Wherever we are, Lord, help us to be your agents of love in a world that needs to know about the Savior. And we pray it in his name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about knowing the Savior, we'd love to talk with you before you get away uh, today.
if you're here, God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family. We, we'd love to know about that. We'd love to talk with you and welcome you. Right now, we're going to sing a song of invitation. It's going to be right here at the front. God's put something on your heart. We would love to minister to you during this time of decision. I'll be here after the service as well. Our pastors will be here. Uh, we would love to talk with you and minister to you in any way that we possibly can. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.